Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. And Edrai had defeated Og, the king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains and the western foothills and the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you as always for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it's sharp. Father, we pray now that your word would do its work in our hearts and our lives. We commit ourselves to you now and to the authority of your word. And Father, we pray now that your spirit would apply your truth to our lives so that we may be more the people that you have called us to be and and be about doing the things that you have called us to do. For we pray these things now uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to this passage this morning, I want to remind you of the reasons that we are together for the next few months looking at the book of Deuteronomy. And the first and foremost reason that we do that is because we want to know God, our Father, better, so that we may honor Him more. And everywhere we look in the book of Deuteronomy, we see displayed the character of God. What He says to His people in this book reveals His character. What He requires of His people reveals His character. What He provides for His people reveals His character. How he deals with his people reveals his character. The character of the God who does not change. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if you want to know God, your father, better, and is that a goal that you have for your life? Then the book of Deuteronomy is for you. Secondly, we study Deuteronomy because we want to honor God with our lives. We want to live our lives the way he has designed them to be lived. Deuteronomy is a sermon-like retelling of the law that God gave his people on Mount Sinai. Good laws, good laws that were given to govern their civil and political lives as they lived together in community, a community that now numbered in the millions. He gave them ceremonial laws to govern their spiritual lives and how they were to worship. He gave them moral laws expressed very specifically in the Ten Commandments. Commandments and laws to govern every area of life, listen, so that the Israelites might live well. That was the goal. 
so that they might be healthy people in body and mind and spirit as they live together in community as a family. We're going to be looking at these laws as we go through the book of Deuteronomy and see how they apply for our lives today. And so if you have the desire to honor God in the way that you live your life in every area of it so that you might be healthy in mind, body, and spirit, is that a goal that you have for your life? Yeah. Then the book of Deuteronomy is for you. Thirdly, we want to be a blessing to the land in which God has placed us. So if you look with me again in verse 6, Moses begins in this verse to recite the history of the people of Israel. And so Moses says there, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, the foothills, in the Negev, along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. See, God has marked off very specific boundaries for the place that he intended his people to dwell. And this very specific place, these very specific boundaries of land that God had given them was enough land for them to do what God had called them to do. They didn't need any more land, any bigger boundaries than what God had already given them. They did not need to be imperialistic. The people of Israel did not need to take over the world. That's not what God had called them to do. But through them, the glory of the Lord was to take over the world. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. And so the place sketched out in these verses that we've just read, that was enough place to accomplish that purpose. Would you turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Acts chapter 17? If you're using a pew Bible... Uh, You can take one if you don't have one. It's page 785 in the New Testament. It's Acts chapter 17, because I want you to see these verses for yourself as we read them together. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he, God, made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now look at that word determined there. It means in Greek to mark off boundaries. And then you see the phrase exact places, which means to fix a boundary or a definite limit. And so we could read this verse in Acts chapter 17, that God has set the boundaries for the times of our lives. He has set the boundaries for the place where men should live. God has boundaries. For every person who ever has or ever will live, God has put boundaries of time around your life and mine. Very specific boundaries. God has put boundaries around the place where we should live. When we should live, where we should live, marked off by God. And then look at this verse. When did God make that determination? The form of the verb determine there indicates that this determination 
about where a person should live and when a person should live was made by God before that person was even created. By the divine plan of God, before he created Adam, the first man, the the, the man from whom we all descend, God had already determined ahead of time where and when all of us, you and I, should live. That, That humbles and overwhelms me. How vast must the mind of God be to make that determination for every person who has ever or ever will live? You know, I've been working on, perhaps some in my family would say, obsessing on my family tree the last couple of weeks. You know, I've spent hours and hours tracing back one branch and then the other branch, and I can't keep it all straight in my mind, you know, and so I have to go over it again now. Who belongs where and, and which relative came from Scotland, which year, and which one came from England, and, and which year, and I, and I can't remember it all. And that should be easier for me than you, because I'm from West Virginia, and all those branches end up coming back together in the first place. No, no kidding. I'm not kidding you. I am so inbred. I should probably be institutionalized. That, that is the truth. But, but here I stand before you today. But God has determined every branch of every family tree of every person, the when and the where for every person who will ever live. For the people of Israel, it was the promised land. From that place, within those boundaries, the blessings of God would flow to the nations of the world. For most of us who are here today, you know, visitors not included, our place is Charleston, South Carolina. And together, we as a family here at Redeemer, our place is 43 Wentworth Street by the plan of God. Our place is here. Our time is now. And so you and I have to embrace both our time and our place. It's what God has chosen for us. There's no point in wishing for another place. There's no wishing, no point in wishing for another time of going back to the good old days. Oh, I just want to go back to Mayberry. I want to go back. Life was so simple then. Number one, there are no good old days because there's no time that has ever been, no day, no age, no era that hasn't been marked by sin. This is what God has for us. Now, look in verse 27 of Acts 17. God's determined the time and place and God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The implication of this verse, as Paul is speaking to these Greek philosophers, is that there is a God and God is not hard to find. You see the word reach out in that verse, in the NIV, or if you're reading the uh, ESV, it says, feel their way toward him. And that Greek word has the idea of groping in darkness. These people are groping in darkness. But listen, since you and I, since you and I are here in this place at this time by the appointment of God himself, and since you and I have the light of the gospel within us, and since Jesus has said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven, then what is the reason? if you can give me one, that the people around, living around us in this place at this time should grope in darkness. We have the light. And we must bless those around us with the light that we have. And so when you and I are thinking rightly, 
when you and I are thinking biblically, then the desire of our heart as an individual and the desire of our heart as a church is that the blessing of God would radiate from us, His people, in the limited time that He has given to us, to the land in which He has very specifically and purposefully placed us. That's why we do ministry. Here's a newsflash. We don't do ministry here just to fill up your schedule and keep you busy. You're busy enough on your own. And we don't do ministry here just because churches are supposed to do ministry and we can check it off the box. Look, we did ministry here at Redeemer. That's not the reason. We intentionally plan ministry because you and I, we have the privilege. We get to partner with God in being a blessing to our culture right now. And guess what? One to two hours on Sunday morning, that's not enough to get the job done. Not to be the blessing that God intends us to be. And so you and I are still the people of God. We are the family of God. We are the source of blessing when we are scattered throughout the area, living in our home boundaries or our work boundaries or our school boundaries or our recreation boundaries. And so we worship together like we're doing right now on Sunday morning. And then through community groups, which are branches of this family tree. That's what a community group is. It's a branch of this family. We take care of each other. And we point one another to Christ because that's what a good family does. We point each other to Christ. And then we bless the community in which God has placed our communities because we come from a really, really good family. You know it? We come from a really, really good family with an amazing father. I don't know about you, but I have met too many people, too many people in my life who do not come from good families. And as a result, there is brokenness and sadness uh, in their lives. And that's the reality of it. Many of you know how crazy my family is. And we are. But in spite of how crazy we are, we have had people ask us throughout the years, throughout the years, Will y'all adopt me? I just want to be part of your family. And that's not to say how great our family is, because y'all know the truth about that. But it's just to say that that's the longing of people's hearts. They want to be part of a family. Well, guess what? You and I are in one. And we're in a great family. And you bless others when you invite them to come and meet your amazing father, and his son, your elder brother, Jesus, he'll make the introduction, and they'll be adopted and be brought right into that family with you. That's our privilege. That's our privilege to invite people to be part of this awesome family of which we are a part. That's how we bless the land in which God has placed us with the gospel. We invite people to come in faith to Christ and be part of our family right here, right now. Secondly, we turn to another way that we'll bless our land. If you'll go back up now, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1 and look in verse 2. And if you're reading from the NIV, you see that that is a parenthetical statement. Verse 2 is a parenthetical uh, statement. 
And it says there that it takes 11 days to go from Horeb, once again, that's Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. Why in the world is this statement here? What is the purpose for which God, uh, Moses wrote this? I know that the Jews consider the book of Deuteronomy a book of reproofs or a book of rebukes. Because throughout this book, as Moses preaches to the people, there are going to be plenty of occasions for them to kind of cringe and to hang their head and say, I can't believe we did that. Oh, I can't believe we did that. Over and over again. And I think this is one of the opportunities for that, as Moses says this to the people. Because Moses is saying, basically, look, it only took you 11 days, 11 days to go from Mount Sinai to Horeb, uh, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the place where you spent a whole year at Mount Sinai, a place where God formed you into a nation for the first time, a place where God confirmed his covenant with you, a place where God, in this dramatic, celestial spectacle, with crashing thunder and flashing lightning, with fire and smoke and a booming voice speaking from heaven, God gave you the Ten Commandments. And scripture tells us that that moment was so dramatic and the voice so terrible that the people begged God to stop speaking to them and they staggered back under the, under the, uh, God's command. So Moses is saying, think about it. It took 11 days to go from that place to Kadesh Barnea on the southern border of the promised land where you heard the same voice of the same God commanding you, go, take possession of the land. I have given it to you. But you did not go because you were afraid, because you didn't trust God to do what he said for you that he would do. It took only 11 days to go from this place of the drama of God and the word of God and the promise of God and the command of God to this train wreck of faithless fear and disobedience. And so I think that's why this parenthetical statement is included here, to remind the people of what happened 40 years ago, to remind them how quickly faithless disobedience can come upon them. I will say this, sometimes I get weary, not sometimes, right now, (laughs) I get weary of always talking about the faithlessness of the ancient Israelites of being aghast at their rebellion and disobedience, of being offended and asking, how could they not go? How could they question that it was God who was speaking? How could they do it? How could they doubt after walking through the Red Sea? How could they doubt after eating manna from heaven and quail? How could they doubt when God made water come miraculously out of the rock to give them something to drink when they were thirsty? How could they? And so I've concluded, instead of condemning them, And elevating myself as superior. I better take 11 days to heart. And you better take 11 days to heart. To read about it. And to talk about it. With great humility. To see it as an example of what the human heart. Your heart. And my heart is like. And the natural inclination of our hearts. Is toward faithlessness. And unbelief. It's always pulling us away always inclining us to doubt, to misunderstand God. 
you know, with us, stuff always runs out. Limitless is not a concept that we really understand. Money can run out. Food can run out. Our health can run out. Something could happen. So why could it not be that the ancient Israelites believed that maybe the last time really was the last time? That God's power might run out. That his mercy on them might run out. That his grace for them might run out. That he would only go with them so far and then no further. That he would only give them so much and no much more and not much more. That eventually he would leave them and expect them to take care of it on their own. I don't know if any of those thoughts enter the minds of these ancient Israelites, but in my faithful faithlessness, it enters my mind. You know, well, God came through the last time. But maybe the last time was the last time. Maybe he's not going to do it for me again. Well, God is done with me now. Too many times making the same mistakes. And I bet you think that way too from time to time. And when we think that way about God, it causes us to be faithless. The longer I live, the more I see what the human heart is capable of. The conflict between faith and unbelief is the theme of human history. And I see that I am not dramatically different. I am not dramatically different from anyone else. And you know what? It took me about 50 years to come to that realization. So here's a bonus for you guys who are half my age or or, or less. It's true. As wonderful as you are, as amazing as you are, you're not that much different from everybody else. The degree of variation is really not that big of a deal. Even these faithless, doubting Israelites, they're not that much different from you and me. And so you and I have to check ourselves so that our lives are not marked by faithlessness and the lack of trust. We better not even get 11 days away. We better stay close to the truth of God, close to the commandments of God always, because it's only the truth of the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God in our lives, that our faith stays strong, that our trust stays strong, that our obedience stays intact. If I can't live in faithful obedience and trust in my own life, if I can't do it, then how can I be a real intentional blessing to those around me? How can you? Turn to the New Testament one more time, to 2 Peter. In the Pew Bible, this is page 860. 2 Peter, chapter 1. This is the great Apostle Peter writing, and this is what he says. Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that soon I'll put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. See, we can never trust ourselves enough to take the truth of God 
for granted. We can never think that, oh, I've got it now. I've arrived. At least Peter doesn't think we can do that. And Peter has no problem reminding these believers of what they already know, what they've already heard, what's already firmly established, fixed in them. In fact, Peter says, as long as I live for the rest of my life, as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to keep reminding you, keep refreshing your memory so that when I'm gone, you will never forget. Because I think Peter knows 11 days is not very long. We in America, we clamor for something new. We demand something new. Teach me something I've never heard before. Tell me some obscure things that nobody else will know. Give me theological goosebumps. You know, the story is told of the preacher who preached the same sermon two Sundays in a row. The third Sunday, he preached the same sermon again. And people say, what is up? When are you going to stop preaching the same sermon? And you've heard this story. The pastor's response was, when you start living it. And that's the truth. You know, we seek the wrong thing if we seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge. If we seek knowledge to puff ourselves up and to demonstrate that we are spiritually superior to everyone around us. It's not about moving on and leaving behind. It's always about building on truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. And it's about being firmly established in that truth. And being firmly established, because that means planted within, that's what it means. If it's not planted within, if it is planted within, it means it's growing because there's no life in a plant that isn't uh, alive and producing fruit. So if that truth is implanted in you, firmly established, it means you are living out that truth. Not just knowing it up here in your head, living it out with your hands. That's why we have to hear the same truth over and over and over again. Let me ask you this question. When is it okay for you to move past the gospel? When is that okay? After all, we've heard it all before, over and over again. What day, what hour of what day in your life does the gospel not apply? What day do you not need to think about it and remember the gospel? You know, what Christ did for you. The substitution that he made on the cross. His perfect sinlessness for our complete sinfulness. His death for our life. When do we not need to remember that? When do we not need to remember why he did it? It was out of his love. What he did on the cross was not a reward or a payment to you or for me for our good behavior. Oh, well, look, they're so good. They're so wonderful people. I think I'll die on the cross to pay them off for being so good. You know what, I, what happens when we forget the simple gospel? The turmoil that begins to mark our lives as they spiral out of control. The rest and the peace of the gospel is replaced with striving and turmoil. You know how you start treating people when you forget the gospel. You become demanding. You become hard and harsh. You become unforgiving. You're not compassionate. You're not gracious because you forget. When you forget the gospel, the grace and the mercy of the Savior 
that saved you. And you start looking out for yourself instead of looking out for others, forgetting that Jesus was looking out for you. And it goes on from there. When we stray from the truth, even the simplest truth, bad things happen. And so I wouldn't wander very far away from God's truth if I were you, and I wouldn't stay gone too long. Because a Kadesh Barnea is always waiting, always close by, 11 days away. Something in your life to melt away your faith, to wither your trust, to cause you to disobey God. So stay close to the truth of God. You need it. Paul writes to Timothy, a young minister. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Continue in it and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all of it, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen. You and I will be a blessing. Our church will be a blessing to our community when we do this. When we embrace this time and this place and no other as God's place and God's time for us. He has designed every one of us in this room to be alive in 2013 with all the challenges that that brings with the things that we face that have never, for the majority of human history, never existed. This is our time. This is our place right now to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. And we will be a blessing if we never stray from the truth of God's Word, the truth that points to Jesus, who is the truth. Jesus is the truth, the way. And the life. And when you stay close to the truth, you stay close to Jesus. And when you stay close to Jesus, there is no doubt, there is no doubt, when you stay close to Jesus, when I stay close to Jesus, our lives will be the lives that Jesus uses to bless those around us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word that you have given to us and preserved for us over the course of thousands of years, Lord. It's in your word that we see your character. In all the ways you've mentioned, what you say, what you provide, what you require, how you deal with your people, we see your character. Thank you, Lord, that we can read these stories. And Father, I pray that it would not be for us to, to stand above these people to feel superior to them, to criticize them for their faithlessness and their lack of trust when we know, Lord, our very lives, when we can't see the future, when we don't know the rest of the story, when we don't know how it's going to turn out, we display that same faithlessness and lack of trust. Their story is our story. And so I pray, Lord, that you would keep us near to you, keep us near to your truth. Lord, that's what's going to strengthen us. Help us not stray from it or we'll go off uh, on our own way uh, 
as we live lives for ourselves. Keep us near to your truth, near to you, Lord Jesus. And I do pray that you would cause us to embrace this time and this place. That we would be excited about it. We get to live now. And that is by your design from all eternity past. You will live right here in this place at this time. And so, Father, I pray that we would not squander the opportunities, that we would not squander the time you've given us, that we would not squander the place that you've given us, looking for somewhere else to go or to be. Lord, we want to be a blessing. And so I pray that your blessing would pour out on us, flow through us, out from this place into a world that so desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray these things now for your glory and in your name. Amen.